This is Season 3 of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In Seasons 1 and 2 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing and how to put those concepts into action. If you haven't listened to those first two seasons, we invite you to start there. Grain IQ is a project of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association and uh, sponsored in part by the Nebraska Soybean Board and uh, your Nebraska Soybean Checkoff. Uh, today we're going to continue our series and uh, taking a look at kind of what's the uh, situation in, in country elevators and how does that play a role in grain marketing. Uh, here to talk talk a little bit about that and kind of highlight a report that he did recently on that issue is Tanner Emke. He is the uh, a, a grains and oil seed economist with Cobank. Uh, Tanner, thanks for visiting with us here today. Before we start uh, start talking about your report and, uh, and and talk a little bit kind of about the situation and again how country elevators play a role in this marketing of grain, tell me a little bit about uh, Cobank and in the role that Cobank ha- has in in agriculture. Well, thanks, Chad. Great to be with you. Uh, a great question. Uh, what is Cobank? We're part of the farm credit system. And uh, Farm Credit is uh, the lender to about 40% of the agricultural industry or more uh, here in the U.S. CoBank's role is uh, dual purpose. Uh, We are first a uh, wholesale lender to Farm Credit Associations. Uh, So the money lent out uh, to farmers and ranchers through the Farm Credit Associations that they belong to comes from CoBank uh, within our district at any rate. That's the western half of the U.S. and up in the northeastern uh, U.S. And then our other uh, role uh, within Farm Credit is we are the bank for cooperatives. Thus, our name, uh, CoBank, Cooperative Bank. We we started out as the National Bank for Cooperatives, uh, and today our now uh, our name is CoBank. And so, farmer-owned cooperatives. Uh, again, if you bank or if you excuse me, if you market your uh, products uh, through a co-op, a very strong possibility you are, by extension, a customer of uh, CoBank. So those are our two main roles uh, within Farm Credit, and uh, that has uh, gives us an advantaged view of what's going on in the agricultural economy from around the United States. Uh, we we are the bank for uh, co-ops uh, of all kinds of commodities, uh, from co- almond co-ops out in California to citrus co-ops in Florida uh, to uh, uh corn, wheat, and soybean uh, co-ops across the Midwest, you name it, we are uh, very likely the bank for those farmer-owned co-ops. Yep. And, and there's something that CoBank does, uh, and, and it maintains there. There's this little, uh, maybe it's not a little, but it is a division of CoBank. It's called the Knowledge Center, uh, and uh, try and disseminate uh, information about what is going on. What is the goal of the Knowledge Center? What, what do you guys do uh, within that part of CoBank? Our official name is Knowledge Exchange Division, and we call it KED, or Knowledge Exchange. And we are uh, the research arm of CoBank. Uh, Our role is to provide research uh, and market intelligence uh, internally to our decision makers and to our relationship managers uh, in regards regards to the the markets they are uh, concerned about or that affect them with their borrowers. And then also to be a service to our customers. Uh, with our borrowers that are dealing with uh, uh, risk mitigation, as it were, with so many things going on in the world, where it, uh, where if or interest rate risk or commodity risk uh, or anything that affects it affects their business operations, where there is a service to provide some intelligence on those matters. 
Well, let's talk about uh, an article that you just recently posted uh, to the uh, uh, to the Knowledge Exchange. Uh, the title of it is called Grain Storage Outlook Improves for U.S. Elevators, but Bushels Remain Elusive. Uh, again, we'll talk a, a little bit about the content that they're in, is, is therein and uh, some of the th- findings that you found. But I guess going into this report, what were you uh, attempting to uncover? What was kind of the, the purpose of this a group of, of research data points, if you will. Well, go back a couple of years, Chad, and uh, things were remarkably different uh, compared to where we're at right now in grain markets. Uh, we were tight on inventories for corn, wheat, and soybeans, and markets were inverted. And if you don't, if you aren't familiar with that, with that, with that term means in the futures markets, in a surplus environment where you have plenty of bushels to go around, and that is the ideal situation for co-ops, especially. Uh, and farmers, they need bushels to sell. In that market environment, the nearby price in the futures curve is going to be lower than the prices uh, of the deferred contracts, okay? In that market environment, the market is literally paying you to store those bushels uh, over time, okay? Thus, the, the wider the spread, the more of the incentive to store those bushels. And that's the business a co-op is in is to store bushels. That's why they have storage. That's their main game. And then marketing those bushels through transportation, uh, and uh, booking transportation and finding arbitrage put, uh, opportunities perhaps uh, throughout uh, the country. Well, over the past, in the prior couple of years, we were in an inverted, excuse me, inverted market situation where those nearby contracts were priced higher than those deferred contracts, the ones that priced at a later date thereby strongly disincentivizing storage. Uh, that's a problem for co-ops. Uh, when the, the co-op is there uh, to, to provide that uh, service of storage, well, the market is saying, don't store it, get rid of it. Okay, so that was a very uh, stressful environment for a lot of our borrowers. Uh, it's hard to make money when the market is penalizing you for storage. Okay, so over those that couple of years of an inverse in the marketplace because of tightness in global corn, wheat, and soybean supplies, far, co-ops had to reinvent uh, the the business that they were doing. They had they were booking tr- uh, tr- uh, excuse me booking uh, tr- transits in uh, you know rail cars and trucks. Uh, they were basically almost freight brokers, if you will. And they, at the same time, they were trading bushels. They could not store those bushels. So it was almost hand to mouth, get those bushels in, get them out, move them. And they were active grain traders uh, trying to make margin on uh, bushels. And that was hard to come by. Well, then all of a sudden, now we're back into a surplus uh, situation where we have a very big corn crop, uh, record large corn crop. Uh, the, the wheat crop is bigger, although we had uh, a drought in much of the plains. Uh, this total U.S. wheat crop was bigger this year than it was last year. Uh, soybeans, we had a uh, record crop down in Brazil, uh, and that disincentivized our exports. And so globally, we had a surplus there as well. So we were back into a surplus situation where the spreads are now favoring uh, the favoring storage, and that is to the benefit of our co-op customers. Okay, so the market situation changed remarkably from that inverted marketplace where the where the market was penalizing storage back into a normal carry environment. That's what that spread is called: is carry, 
where the elevator can now profit on their storage. The, the market literally pays them to hold those bushels over a period of months and then sell them again yes. or to, to market them. So at any rate, that that situation changed uh, the entire tenor of the marketplace. Uh, unfortunately, as we're talking right now, Chad, we're dealing with some situations globally with South America and their weather situation. Uh, we're looking at sh smaller corn acres next year uh, in the U United States, smaller soybean acres. And so now we're back into a situation where those spreads are coming back in again. And those that profitability of storage is now not what it once was. Yep. And, and maybe we can take a, just a half a step back and just remind us, you know, where do country elevators, the people that you serve, the people that you work with, where do they sit in, in the value chain? And, and kind of, again, what what is the purpose as you see it uh, for, for the country elevator? How do they play a part in marketing that grain? Let's go back to the origination of the idea. Why a co-op? Why can't farmers just do all of this themselves without having uh, that the cooperative there will go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, so many uh, decades ago, how many generations ago when uh, farmers were populating the plains and they were at the mercy of the railroads. Okay, They, they were out in the middle of the plains and had crops to sell, but uh, they didn't have the assets uh, they needed for transportation and storage. And so they were at the mercy really uh, of the of the trains. You know, the rail companies. So with a co-op, the farmer now had collective bargaining, if you will. Uh, they could pool their resources and they can now have those, trans those storage and transportation assets where now they could actually have some more market power. That was the genesis of so many of those co-ops. Uh, later on with the mechanization of agriculture, uh, we needed fuel to fuel tractors. We're no longer feeding oats to horses, we're feeding, we're, we're running diesel fuel through tractors. And so a lot of the co-ops co were started uh, as petroleum co-ops uh, to get that uh, petroleum, the, to get the diesel to run the tractors. And that, again, the farmer wanted collective bargaining for that. So really it all came down to farmers uh, around the country, you know, 100 years more or more, ago uh, wanting to increase the value of their crops and so thereby uh, getting that through uh, collective bargaining. Uh, where is the co-op today in all of this? The, the, a lot of those concepts are still around. A, a farmer can't just easily build a rail spur out to their farm. That's just not financially doable or is it logical? So the co-op still has that transportation uh, uh, value add there for the farmer. They can still uh, order trains. They can still add a rail spur. Uh, they can still bring access, bigger, broader market access to the farmer around the world, uh, more so than what a farmer can farmer can do. So again, that is still a value proposition for the co-op of ex of bringing global market access locally to the back to the farmer. Uh, and then as at the, as time goes on. Look at all these issues that we're dealing with globally with, with uncertainty uh, in marketing. The, the co-op is still there as a resource uh, to, to help a farmer market, providing numerous market uh, op marketing opportunities or marketing services, you know, forward contracts, uh, delayed pricing, things like that, that a farmer can use uh, to manage their price risk. So the value proposition is still there, but it, it's growing. 
the farmer services need to be there, whether a farmer needs uh, fertilizer or application services. Uh, a lot of our co-op borrowers have grown into those spaces and providing technology services. Maybe perhaps you need somebody to take a drone uh, image of your field, provide, providing those type of uh, services or even healthcare. Even. I mean, there's, it's continually expanding to provide uh, services to farmers uh, that those farmers may not get uh, affordably uh, on their own. Very good. Thank you so much for that background. And again, I think it paints a picture of kind of where we're at. And again, uh, the importance of the situation. Now, now let's go back to your article and this idea, um, how much grain or is the market um, uh, giving you signals on whether you should store grain or not? Now, you said before uh, that it was um, it, it was a production issue that led to this inverted markets. Is Is that the only thing that uh, influences a market to give a storage signal or not, or or what what are the factors that go into that decision making? Do you think there's always going to be those global factors that affect futures markets, and that's going to be the main thing you're going to be looking at on the Chicago Board of Trade, or the, excuse me, the CME Group, uh, and that is the spreads between, say, for instance, a December corn contract and a March corn contract. What is the market going to pay you uh, to store that commodity? Uh, but we need to take the discussion another step. We need to talk about basis. And that is the, the, the measure or that is the tool that the local elevator has uh, that, uh, that for a local price signal. And the basis is the difference between their local cash price and, uh, the lo and uh, what is quoted on the Chicago Board of Trade. Excuse me, CME Group. I the old old habits die hard. I came from yeah. Chicago Board of Trade, exactly. so that's uh, I keep falling back to that. But uh, so anyway, it's the it's the dual price signals, not only of the futures spreads, but also uh, the basis, and uh, that's something that farmers oftentimes aren't watching as closely, even though it is also quite important as well in their marketing plans. Uh, a farmer can also use basis contracts uh, with uh, their local co-op. Uh, as a means of hedging uh, or as uh, reducing their price risk. So that's something that has to be watched as well. And uh, that's going to be affected mostly on local supply demand issues. Uh, let's say uh, there's more and more demand locally for corn or soybeans because let's say uh, a new ethanol plant comes uh, is constructed or a new crush facility is constructed nearby, thereby uh, pulling up or thereby using more of the local commodities. Well, that's going to tighten local cash prices uh, relative to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, uh, and narrow that spread between uh, local uh, cash price and the futures and thereby tightening the basis. So I would say it's both of those signals that farmers need to keep an eye on. It's not just the board uh, price but uh, or the board spreads, but also what's going on of, with basis. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to talk about, too. I was going to ask you about that because we do have a situation. Again, this is reflecting of what's going on um, at the end of 2023 going into 2024. But like you said, the futures are giving us some carry opportunities. But at many end users and elevators, for that matter, uh, the cash price today is at or even better than a bid three or four months uh, months out. Uh, so I would I would say, and I'm no economist, but that tells me there still is a lot of worry and uncertainty uh, going on in in some of these markets right now, huh? 
Yeah, the trend that we're seeing uh, with our customers uh, in the grain in grain co-ops is uh, farmers have been selling soybeans uh, for cash. If they need cash, then they'll sell the soybeans because soybeans are priced relative to corn quite a bit higher uh, because our soybean crop was smaller this year. Uh, and there's some uncertainty about what's going on down in Brazil because of the drought there. And so uh, there's there's some uncertainty there. The market has rewarded farmers with higher prices. The problem, though, is on the corn side. And we had a record large corn crop. We had a record large, here in the United States, we had a record large corn crop down in Brazil. Um, so that has uh, been an issue for farmers for a lot of concern that perhaps we're not going to see the prices that we saw earlier this year when farmers we're looking at the price of corn around 650. Well, that's really no longer the case uh, because we're long on corn bushels in this country. So that has caused a lot of uh, worry and concern about where uh, corn prices are going. Are we gonna be able to see a recovery uh, back above $5? Right now we're, we're about 20 cents under uh, what's uh what the board is uh where the board or under five dollars on the board and add in where you might be with uh local supply if you are long on bushels in your local area then that's going to further depress uh your uh local cash price and so there are some farmers that are really looking at very low uh cash price that that is very concerning so they're holding on to those corn bushels uh waiting for a rally all right. Let's go back to your article, I guess. Give me the, I guess, what are the main three things that you want producers to understand about the situation that grain elevators are in? Uh, you know, again, kind of what, as you take a look at this topic, uh, what what did you find out? What What was most interesting for you? Well, the most interesting thing is that although the carries are back in rewarding storage, uh, farmers aren't selling. That is that it's a problem. Uh, the the grain elevator needs to own those bushels. The company has to own the bushels in order to capture that carry that's in the futures market. Uh, if they're not able to do that, uh, they might be able to make that up on storage fees with the farmer by charging the monthly fees, or by offering delayed pricing, which is a fairly risky proposition for the elevator. Delayed pricing is when the farmer transfers title of those bushels over to the elevator, uh, thereby enabling the uh, elevator to price those bushels and hopefully hopefully capture, capture some carry in the futures market. The problem and the risk to the elevator is that they may do so at a loss. It is a much higher risk because those, those bushel, the buy basis is unpriced. Mm -hmm. So in a carry market, that is very risky for the grain elevator. And so as a result, they need to charge for that service accordingly. And it cannot be at the same rate as charging a regular rate for storage, a few pennies a bushel uh, per month. They need to increase that cost of that service on those DP bushels because of the greater risk of holding bushels in a carry market. You, you've said it before, you know, agriculture is changing from when the co-ops were organized uh, to provide that market power uh, that they have the purpose of them has changed or that has moved a little bit. Um, so I guess where do we sit right now and what are some of the things that could change, could influence that change in, in marketing grain as we move, as we go forward? We mentioned, uh, the soybean crush is one thing. What's going to influence this moving forward, do you think? 
So I mean, Crush is number one, as you mentioned. Uh, we're going to continue to see over the next few years that be the main driver. We still have to look abroad about what's going on down in South America. Uh, they're adding crush capacity as well. We have to take a look at what's going on in Argentina. They're the world's biggest exporter of soybean oil and soybean meal. Uh, with all this uh, additional crush capacity, uh, we have no problem finding a home for the vegetable oil or the soybean oil. We know where it's going. It's going into renewable diesel. The the, pro the issue is finding a home for the renew or excuse me, finding a home for the uh, soybean meal. And those trade flows are now being uh, are are materializing in those. Uh, we're, we're finding a place in the export markets, and we're going to continue to do so over time. And I would say that uh, other crops uh, are going to potentially lose acres uh, to soybeans because of this. Now, how much do we plan these? Uh, can we anticipate to lose out of wheat or other uh, crops? I'm not expecting a wholesale shift all at once, but over time on the margins, we're going to see some acres shift over. I was just in South Dakota here last week, and uh, they're bemoaning the loss of a uh, a key herb, uh, excuse me, a key insecticide uh, for for sunflowers, horseman. And so uh, they're anticipating losing those soy sunflower acres over to soybeans. And so on the margins, we're going to see that happening. And it's not going to be a wholesale shift over to soybean acres, but some acres here out of uh, some crops, some acres over there out of some other crops. And that's probably what we're going to continue to see manifest over time. And then, of course, uh, across the border over in Canada, we can't talk, we can't forget about canola oil. Uh, they're expanding their crush capacity in uh, Canada as well to, to serve this back or to, to backfill this demand uh, for vegetable oil, oils in the United States, specifically on the food side. So really, I think here centrally uh, to all the row crop or to the grains and oil seeds, it's all about renewable diesel and how we're going to shuffle around the trade flows in the acres around. Very good. Tanner, it's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Okay. Chad, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Again, we've been visiting with Tanner Emke, a lead economist for grains and oil seeds with CoBank, uh, joining us here on today's Grain IQ podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Seclocha. It is written and edited by Alex Makovica. Our project manager is Bryce Dewskid. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.